Welcome to True Crime Mysteries, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart of the world's most gripping true crime stories. I'm your host, Megan, and I've spent years researching, investigating, and seeking the truth in dark corners where most people dare not look. Each week, we'll delve into a new case, peeling back layers of mystery, law, and human behavior. Together, we'll explore the intricate webs woven by those who break society's most sacred laws. We'll cover cold cases, missing persons, and recently uncovered serial killers, and instances where DNA has identified a killer. Join us as we journey back in the past, bring decade-old cases to life, and explore the dark, tragic, and inexplicable. And maybe find a light of justice at the end of the tunnel. This is True Crime Mysteries. Today we're discussing four child abduction cold cases. There are hopes that these children were kidnapped to be raised in another family and may be able to be given their true identities and reunited with their families. We had two abducted child cases solved last year. With these cases, you never know who might see these stories and who might hold a key piece of evidence needed to solve these cold cases. But with that being said, let's get into it. Number four, Elias Monroy. It was on Monday, February 2nd, 1987, when Maria Pacheco took her newborn son, Elias Monroy Jr., for a routine checkup at the L.A. USC Medical Center in Los Angeles. Elias was only two weeks old and was born happy and healthy, but it had been a difficult delivery for Maria. Maria was still recovering from a cesarean section and was experiencing a lot of pain, which was making it difficult to walk and get around. While in the clinic waiting room, Maria was approached by a woman in her 30s, who said she was a mother as well. The two chatted for a bit, and Maria thought the woman was friendly and honest. So when Elias started to cry, Maria dug through her diaper bag, but realized she didn't bring enough bottles. The woman offered to hold Elias while she went to look for some formula, and Maria accepted. Maria had only been gone for a few minutes. When she returned, she noticed the woman was gone, and so was her son. At first, it was thought that the woman had simply gone into her appointment and had taken the newborn with her, but no one matching her description was identified as a patient there or had an appointment. Little Elias had been kidnapped. When detectives started investigating the abduction, detectives in Esperia, California reached out with a similar abduction attempt on January 14th. In that case, a woman who had similarities to the description of the L.A. abductor approached a woman in a post office who was with her four-month-old son. This woman had started chatting with the mother and had asked to hold the baby, which the mother declined. She left the post office and continued running her errands. Later on in the day, she arrived at a Safeway. She parked and was unbuckling her son from the car seat when she noticed the woman from the post office barreling towards her. The woman was screaming, I want the baby, I want the baby, and tried to rip the little boy from his mother's arms. And it was then that she noticed that there was a man with the woman this time. The mother kicked at the woman, knocking her back. Then the man tried to take the child from her arms, and she kicked him as well, getting him between the legs, and she ran with her child into the grocery store. She was helped by the store employees, but the two child abductors ran off. By the time law enforcement arrived, they were long gone. The woman was described as Hispanic, 30 to 35 years old, around 5 foot 7 and 150 pounds. 
Both said that she had a dark complexion, and Maria said that the woman had long brown hair, but the ends were frosted blonde. The mother didn't get a good look at the man, and there wasn't a description of him. Unfortunately, there are no photographs of Elias, but a new age progression image has been generated to show what he may look like today. Elias is Hispanic with brown hair and brown eyes. At the time of his abduction, he weighed 8 pounds and was 1 foot 9 inches long. He would be 36 years old today, and is believed he was abducted by a woman to be raised as her own. He may still be in the California area. He may believe he was adopted as a child. Maria put out a plea out to social media saying, quote, Elias, look for me. Communicate with me. I am your mom, and you are my dream come true, but someone took you from me. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is very hopeful in identifying Elias and reuniting him with his family. Anyone who recognizes Elias from the age progression image or the sketch of the abductor is asked to contact the LAPD at 1-877-ASK-LAPD or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Number 3. Christopher Bush It was on April 5, 1975, when two-year-old Christopher Bush was left unattended in a vehicle at a grocery store parking lot in the Germantown neighborhood of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He had been left in the care of a babysitter, 26-year-old Patricia Warwick, at the time and had been with her for two weeks prior following a fire that destroyed the Bush home. Christopher's mother, Gwendolyn, was staying with relatives with her three other children. Patricia Warwick had offered to look after Christopher while they found a new home that would accommodate all of the children again. When Patricia returned to the 1966 Maroon Ford station wagon after shopping, she discovered that Christopher wasn't there. All that was left was the hat that he'd been wearing. She searched the surrounding area but found no sign of the toddler, finally calling the police an hour later. Precious time had been lost and the investigation turned up little information. Over 100 officers searched for days, but nothing came up. Patricia swore that she had left the car doors locked. There was no sign of a break-in, however someone could have easily convinced Christopher to unlock the door. Car seats weren't mandatory in the U.S. until 1986, so it's likely that he was just sitting in the back seat. Alternatively, she might have forgotten to check all the doors of the car. Either way, someone got in. Patricia claimed that she'd only been in the store for 10 minutes before coming back to the vehicle, so the window for the abduction was relatively short. Christopher Bush is described at the time of his abduction as a black male, 2 foot 10 and 40 pounds. He was wearing a denim jacket with a white fur trimmed collar and a light blue corduroy pants. He was born in 1973 and may have been adopted out in 1975. The case remains unsolved and there's been little movement in the case since 1975, though there are hopes that he will be found and reunited with his family. Christopher would have been 50 years old today and may have grown up in the Pennsylvania area. Number 2. Cynthia Lynn Sumter It was on April 27, 1974, when 5-year-old Cynthia Lynn Sumter was playing outside on the front lawn of the apartment building she lived in with her mother in San Jose, California. Cynthia's mother, Linda, left around noon to pick up sandwiches for lunch. But while she was gone, she asked a neighbor to watch her daughter. When she returned about an hour later, Cynthia hadn't come in for lunch yet. She looked outside but couldn't see her out front, 
For 30 minutes, she searched by herself, but opted to call the police, who gathered a 50-person search party to look for the little girl. Dozens of leads came in, but it appeared that the girl had vanished without a trace. One lead from a witness stated that they saw a little girl matching Cynthia's description in a blue car driven by a young man with blonde hair and a mustache. However, this sighting was never confirmed by a secondary witness, so it's hard to know if this was a credible sighting. Days after her disappearance, a neighbor reached out to Linda and threatened that she needed to drop the criminal charge against his brother to see Cynthia again, along with $1,000 cash. Five weeks before the abduction, Cynthia had been molested by a boy who lived next door. Linda had pressed criminal charges. It was determined that the boys didn't have Cynthia and were charged with attempted extortion. Cynthia's parents had divorced a year earlier, and in the early days of the investigation, both accused the other of kidnapping the child. Both were investigated and asked to take polygraph tests, which they both passed. They were ultimately ruled out as suspects. Another suspect was Antonio Madrid, a neighbor who lived 100 yards from the apartment building. Madrid committed suicide two days after the abduction. Law enforcement later found a shirt with blood on it and blonde hairs in his vehicle. It is unclear if genetic testing had been done on those items. Convicted killer Eugene Joseph Wesley was also investigated about Cynthia's disappearance. While connected to a polygraph machine, it showed deception, leading detectives to believe he knew more than he was saying. However, law enforcement stopped investigating him when he died in prison. At the time of her disappearance, Cynthia is wearing a red and white striped tank top with a blue star on the front and purple pants. She was barefoot. She is described as white with blonde hair and blue eyes. She has a cow look on the right side of her hairline and a mole on the left side of her neck and shin. Her nickname is Cindy and she often went by both Cindy or Cynthia. Linda believes Cynthia is still alive. A body was never found, nor any evidence that would point to the contrary. In a statement to the media, she said, quote, I pray every day that God will bring her back into my life sometime here on this earth, not just in heaven, that I can hold her one more time and tell her how much I loved her. The San Jose Police Department is hopeful in solving the cold case and is asking anyone with information to come forward. As without it, the case will likely go unsolved. In a statement to the media, they said, quote, Even after this many years, someone out there has information that can be helpful to the San Jose police. We won't close this case until she is physically found. Number 1. Krista Nicole Belusco It was on September 20, 1991 on Staten Island, New York, when the body of a woman was discovered in a patch of weeds along a dirt road. The woman had been handcuffed, severely beaten with a hammer, and strangled to death. Her body was then set ablaze. The murder weapon was found under her body with the name Lloyd L. carved into the handle. The woman remained unidentified for three decades, known for all those years as Jane Doe with a scorpion tattoo. The cold case was opened in 2023 when familial DNA gave her name back as Christine Belusco. Christine was 30 years old at the time of her murder. She'd been a missing person since September 13, 1991, when she was last seen by family members. Christine had recently learned that she was adopted and had a falling out with her parents, who hadn't told her about the adoption until she was an adult. It had been a shock to Christine, and she told her family she was moving to Florida. 
that was the last she had been seen. Her family had no idea she'd been dead all these years. Her brother was the one to receive the notice that Christine had been identified as a Jane Doe. He asked if they had also found Krista. It was only then that law enforcement learned that Christine had a child who'd been with her at the last time she'd been seen. Her daughter had only been two at the time. Krista Nicole Belusco was last seen with her mother at the Mount Airy Lodge in Mount Pinoco, Pennsylvania. Her family never knew who her father was. Law enforcement believe that finding Christine's killer will lead to finding Krista. They believe that Christine was killed by someone she knew and are hoping that finding the identity of Krista's father will point them in the right direction. Krista Nicole will be 33 years old today. Her birthday was August 1st, 1989. She is described as Caucasian with brown hair and brown eyes. If you recognize Krista Nicole or know anything about the murder of Christine Belusco, call the Richmond County District Attorney's Office at 718-556-7085. In September 1991, someone put her in these handcuffs and brutally beat her to death using this hammer. We know that she was strangled. We know that she was beaten. And we know that the body was burned. It was a, a cruel and vicious killing. The men and women who work in my office, the prosecutors and investigators, don't give up and they fight every day to bring justice to the victims of crime. Well, folks, we've reached the end of another gripping episode here on True Crime Mysteries. Thank you for joining me as we delve deep into the complexities of today's case. Before we go, let's not forget the human element in these stories. The victims, their families, and sometimes even the perpetrators are all part of a larger societal puzzle that we're trying to understand. While we explore these cases, it's crucial to remember the impact on real lives and communities. If you want to keep up with our weekly investigations, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are captivated by these stories as we are, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Your support helps us bring more unsolved mysteries and untold stories to light. With that being said, stay curious, stay vigilant, and most importantly, stay safe. Until next week, good night.